This is Sean Mandoli, and you're listening to the Hopeland Church Podcast. I hope you encounter God and walk in new levels of freedom as a result of listening to this message. Enjoy. All right, folks, what's up? Hopeland Church, here we go. We are concluding our series, Ephesians, the book of Ephesians, a study on the book of Ephesians. We hope you've enjoyed this. We hope you've gotten something out of this. I do strongly advise and encourage you to go back and listen to this, you know, because it's this is comprehensive, extensive. Um, I mean, we could spend months and months just talking about one book in the Bible, right? But this is good stuff here. This is this is the, you know, just going verse by verse, really looking at everything in this book. And um, I've personally really been enjoying it. So we're going to conclude. We're in Ephesians chapter 6 today. I hope you enjoyed worship and everything. Um, really glad to be here with you. And so let's get into the Word. Let's get into the Bible. Let's crack it open. So Ephesians chapter 6, we're going to start with verse 1. I'm going to read uh, just a few of these verses here, and then we're going to pray, do it a little different today uh, than, than what I, how I normally do it. Uh, but Ephesians 6, verse 1, and I'm going to read all the way to verse 9, okay? Here we go. All right, let's do this, and then we're going to pray. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise. Verse 3, that it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. Verse four, and you fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. Verse five, bond servants, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling and sincerity of heart as to Christ. Not with eye service as men pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ doing the will of God from the heart, with good will, doing service as to the Lord and not to men. Verse eight, knowing that whatever good anyone does, he will receive the same from the Lord, whether he is slave or free. Verse nine, and you masters do the same things to them, giving up threatening, knowing that your own master also is in heaven and there is no partiality with him. Father, we thank you, Lord, for this word today as we read and finish this last chapter in Ephesians. Lord, I pray that we are all encouraged, lifted up, refreshed, and challenged in our walk with you today. I pray in the name of Jesus that you do a profound divine work in our soul today. I pray that there is an impartation of life, an impartation of victory, an impartation of encouragement, of courage, Lord, and, and, and an impartation uh, of your nature. Lord Jesus, you are the word. So as we read and study and preach and teach your word, we pray that you change us as a result that we are changed into the same image, even by the Spirit of the Lord today. In Jesus' name we pray, and all of God's people said, amen. All right, 
So here we go, folks. Um, as we were getting through Ephesians 5, our last point last week was the gospel gets in the kitchen because we started to talk about marriage and how, um, as we said before, do a quick, quick little summary here. The book of Ephesians is, tells us two things. It tells us the gospel story in, in chapters one, two, and three, and it tells us the reshaping of our story in chapters four, five, and six. And so five, that, that, that kind of the old man and the new man taking all that off, that, that, that kind of that theme, that specific part kind of ends with verse nine here of chapter six. That's why I wanted to kind of finish with that uh, or read that first part of this book because it really it be, it's continuing to emphasize how the gospel gets in the kitchen. So that last point last week, the gospel gets in the kitchen. First point this week, the gospel gets in the kitchen, gets into everything, right? It's, it's it, I mean, the, the, the Jesus the word of God, uh, the gospel story isn't just some cute, nice little message that simply just says that God loves humanity. Yes, it does tell us that. Yes, God does. But, and also the gospel gets in to the inner workings of how we treat those at home, how we live at home, how we live and do work in the marketplace, how we view people. I mean, the gospel, as we read here in Ephesians 6, 1 through 9, the gospel gets in the kitchen, okay? And so it talks about relationship with children and parents, parents with children. And you'll note this is what the gospel does. I love the word of God the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. I love Jesus. I love God's heart for us. And I love what the word of God does and what the gospel does. And this is not an official point, but the gospel makes everybody accountable, right? Because here it's saying, children, you know, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right, you know? And, and he, he quotes the, the, um, one of the 10 commandments here, right? And and, and 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 verse four, and and you fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath. The gospel makes all of humanity and every person, and, and no matter where you are in the family environment, no matter who you are, where you are in the marketplace, whether you're an employee or a boss, a business owner or a contractor, whether you are, um, you know, wealthy and affluent or poor, the gospel makes everybody accountable. That, that you know, the, the word of God is living and active, you know, sharper than any two-edged sword, cutting to the division of soul and spirit, joints and marrow, judging the thoughts and intents of the heart, and all of creation is open and laid bare before whom we must give an account. Okay, that's out of Hebrews, right? Speaking of the word of God, but that is the gospel. The gospel, I mean, you see it here, children do this, but parents, make sure you do this. The gospel levels the, play, levels the playing field. The, you know, the, the gospel, yes, there is authority in this world. There is authority, but the gospel makes those in authority and those that are under some type of authority, wherever you are, find yourself. We all are accountable. 
This isn't like, you know, the, the gospel isn't for exclusively for the privileged or those in authority. The gospel makes everybody accountable. It doesn't just work in the favor of those in power. It convicts and it makes all of humanity accountable. Husbands, in, in, in chapter five, it says, husbands, love your wives. Wives, honor, submit to your husbands. Somebody say, everybody, come on, we're all accountable. At, at the cross, you know, it's level ground. There's no hierarchy at the foot of the cross, right? We, we, and I'm not saying that there's not authority. Yes, there is authority. God instituted authority. That authority, God's intention for authority is for protection, for covering, for for provision, for help, for service, right? Um, that's what God has created. So the, the cross and the gospel don't, doesn't take out authority, it, but it does make authority accountable. Somebody say amen. All right, so, so that's what it does. The gospel gets in the kitchen. Whose kitchen? Everybody's kitchen, right? Everybody, everybody. Nobody's exempt from being accountable to Christ, the truth of the gospel. And when you confess Christ, you not only are forgiven, you not only are saved by grace through faith, you are not only accepted in the beloved, you have not only been positioned in Christ above principalities and powers, and you are, you, you are not only seated with him, you are not only um, you know loved and, and accepted by him and been given every blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, yes and amen to all of that. But because we are followers of Christ, because we've encountered him, because um, he is God and his word is true and he determines and, and, and shows us uh, what the fruit of the spirit is and what Christian character is, godly character is. We not only receive the blessings and benefits of the kingdom of God, but we also are accountable for our actions. We are accountable for how we treat people. We are accountable for how we communicate. The gospel reshapes us. This is what Ephesians, the book of Ephesians tells us. And, and once again, uh, the gospel gets in the kitchen, but here it is. Here's my second point. This kind of maybe takes it a little further. And we're gonna talk about this is the gospel reshapes our view of everything, of everybody. It, it reshapes, it changes our perspective. The word of God transforms us, changes us, renews our mind, starts to change our view of people, our view of life, our view of our existence, our view of this natural world, our view of, of finances, our view of authority, our view, everything. The gospel reshapes our view of everything. And right here in Ephesians chapter six, verses one to nine, this shows how the church, how we're called to change our view of things when we get saved. You know, our view of politics changes because of the gospel. It shapes our view, our view of people, our view, our perspective is from uh, the word of God, the kingdom of God, the purpose of God, the, the nature of Christ, his, his nature, his, who he is, uh, what, you know, it, it, it's, we are renewed and changed and our perspective in Christ is, is, is spiritual. It is, it, is, it is his nature, his likeness, all right? And so 
he, in this, we, we, what we see here is him uh, in verse nine, and he says, and you masters, do the same things to them, giving up threatening, knowing that your master also is in heaven and there is no partiality with him. Okay, and so in, in this day and age, and in, in we're talking early church even before this, and you, you got these, uh, uh, these empires and these monarchs, and you, you go back even to just biblical history of you know, the children of Israel being enslaved by the Egyptians, right? Uh, Joseph was sold into slavery. Um, Esther, Daniel were, you know, uh, you know, Daniel lived through uh, the Babylonian and the Persian Empire, but they were subjects of that. They invaded, they took over lands, and they, in, in, in to some degree, um, were occupied as property. They changed their names. I mean, it's, it's crazy, right? Um, just that that's how these nations worked when the Roman Empire invaded and took over lands and countries or, you know, uh, peoples, they enslaved many of those people. Okay, so at this time in history, it, there's anywhere from 10% or 20% of society was enslaved as a result of the Roman Empire. And Roman Empire isn't the only one. It's just a practice of these earthly kingdoms. It was part of the, it was e economic. It was part of the marketplace. People were property. It was, it was horrible. It's wrong. It's ungodly. And here, and actually in Ephesus, during this time, it was the center of the Roman slave trade, Ephesus was, Asia Minor, because of the economy, because of the, if, as crazy as this sounds, the Roman Empire, it was a market for it in this region. So of course, here's Paul, he's addressing it. He's saying, you know, this is, this is interwoven in the society. And Paul is saying to these guys, God does not show partiality, the Roman Empire does. He's like, our society does, but God doesn't. You need to treat these people right, right? They're no, without partiality, you need to stop treating them like property. So, so the gospel is getting in the kitchen of the Ephesian church. It, it, is, it is up in there. Now, even in the early church, you know, no, um, there, there's recording, there, there, there's recordings, documents, documentary evidence of actual Slaves becoming bishops in the church. Society said they're this, they're somebody's property. Pretty crazy, but it was, this was everywhere. This wasn't just for the elite. Many of these slaves actually came from uh, European territories that they invaded, Ireland and all this. So from the Roman Empire's perspective, or any empire for that matter, it wasn't um, an ethnic thing or a color thing. It was who we occupy depending on where these people are, they, they, they become slaves. If and, and many times, many people's prison sentence was slavery. That was what they were sentenced to or sold or, or abandoned children very well. Could have been taken, kidnapped, or, or those that were abandoned, they'd make them slaves. It's, it's crazy. Think about 10 to 20% of the known society were slaves. So Paul is in that world, in that culture. And he's saying right here, y'all need to give up threatening, knowing that your master who is also in heaven, there is no partiality within. There's no, he is not a respecter of persons, okay? He, I mean, this 
right here was cutting against the grain of what was acceptable in um, in Asian in in Asia, Asia Minor. He is speaking to literally, if I could say, he's speaking to a demonic power in that city. He's addressing a literal stronghold. He is confronting potentially. We don't know potentially. There are slave owners that are mistreating these people that they have purchased and working. Some of them could have had hundreds of slaves. Okay. But uh, what if one of those dudes got saved and they come into church or are they coming to the gathering and they read this letter and say, God does not show partiality. You need to change your view of people. You need to change your view. This is, he is confronting something here. This is, this is like going against the, the political power. Totally against it. I mean, this, you know, this right here, this is the gospel. It confronts what society says is normal. What power says is normal. He's speaking truth to power in this, in just these couple verses. And within the theme of Ephesians, it tells us once again that the gospel reshapes us and it reshapes our view of people. It changes our view. It changes our view of, of societies. I mean, think about it. this is for centuries, slavery in this world. If you were an empire, an emperor, this is one way you dominated a region is through slavery. Okay, and Paul's like, no, 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 no. Okay, all right, it changes. The dynamic changes. The dynamic changes. Those slaves, you know, they're no longer slaves in Christ. They're no longer slaves. You, you need to treat them with dignity and, and know, look at, you're accountable. You, 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 you masters, okay? Knowing your, your master. Now think about it. you, you have a master, right? <laughs> Come on now. And how does he treat you? So he's saying your master. He's saying your own master in heaven. Who's he talking to? People in the church with some stuff that they're coming out of, for some stuff that they're coming in. He's confronting them and saying, y'all, master, y'all got a master. You have a master. You are not the master, okay? Who is also in heaven and there is no partiality with him. Come on now, somebody. As believers, as believers, right? Culture must not shape our view of God or people. Politics must not shape our view of God or people, okay? Um, uh, ideals in society, prevailing mindsets in society should not shape our view of God or people or anything for that matter, okay? Let me, let me read some, let me read my notes here. By cultures, because I, I, what are we saying here? As culture is, okay, let, let me just read it, read it so you understand. I don't want to fumble over this. But here we go, once again, I already said it, but I'll say it again and, and read a little more after that. As believers, culture must not shape our view of God or people. By culture, I mean the influence of anything from this natural world, the news, politics, prevailing mindset of a nation, city, neighborhood, family, or even church culture, okay? Even church culture, there's a way church has been done or maybe that you came up in. And we gotta be willing, and here I am, I'm talking to myself now, even as a pastor. I got saved as a teenager, came up in church. But when I look back, not everything was Christ. Some of it is just church culture. What is that? A prevailing mindset about how we gather, what we do, the way we do it. And it's not necessarily Christ. It's just culture. It's just how it's done. It's a mindset towards it, 
I'm not saying that I throw away the 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 the, the, the some total of my experience in church, but I must, as a free moral agent, be able to look back on my history even in church and say, okay, that was cool, that was awesome, that was divine. But that that's just culture. That's opinion. That's that's more politics than 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 Bible. That that's more American Western church culture, not eternal kingdom of Christ and of our God. Can I get an amen? All right. And so if we find ourselves shaped more by the spirit of the world or the spirit of this age or of this natural world, then Christ, we've opened the door the potential for sin. We've opened the door to really, strong word here, folks, idolatry. We've opened it wide because we are now being shaped, our view of God, our view of people, our view of life, our view of our existence, our view of even, you know, the word of God that's really just muddled and messy and has a has an unclean filter on it and we've now exalted this spirit of the age as the way to do it, the way to communicate, the way to treat people. And we have opened the door to something that is ungodly. And we must put that idolatry on the altar and say, Jesus, cleanse me, wash me, show me, teach me through your word how to be like you in this world. So there we go. I mean, that, you're, you're going from Ephesians chapter 4, middle of Ephesians chapter 4, I think it was maybe verse 17 or something. I don't quite remember the exact verse. All the way to Ephesians chapter 6, ending in verse 9. That's all about the old man and new man. All about being reshaped. Old nature, new nature. Spirit of the world, spirit of God. What society says, what Christ says. What even religious church culture says versus what Christ really says. Come on now, all right? The gospel... The gospel gets in the kitchen. The gospel reshapes our view of everything. So here we go. Now, starting verse 10, Ephesians 6, verse 10. Let me read this. We're going to shift over and and, and talk about um, spiritual warfare now. Okay, so here we go. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. Finally, here we go. Summing it up, last part of Ephesians. This is where we're going to talk about the power of God. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Verse 11, put on the whole armor of God. Okay, that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Uh, verse 12, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God. Take up the whole armor of God. This is verse 13. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all the stand. And then it goes on to say, stand therefore. We're gonna read about the armor of God here, but here it is, right here. My next point, you gotta hold your ground. You gotta hold your ground. So we got, you gotta hold your ground because it says stand here multiple times. You gotta stand, stand, withstand, stand, stand therefore. Withstand, stand, stand therefore. You gotta learn how to stand against. Okay, we're gonna look at this. But you gotta, we gotta learn how to hold our ground in the spirit, hold our ground spiritually. This is a warfare. Now, in context, you know, he just was talking about, he was confronting 
parents on how they treat their children, challenging children to obey their parents, challenging, um, you know, slaves. That's their condition in now your approach in what you do is now unto the Lord and masters. You need to give up threatening and, and treat them with dignity as God has loved you and treated you. Okay, so 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 he was not telling slaves to. Um, it, he correlates what they do as under Christ. That we are bond servants of Christ. We are willful, willfully submitted to Christ, and He is saying that we willfully serve others. This is what He's telling them. Okay. So he's reshaming some things. And then, and, and challenging culture, no, the normality of what people say is okay. Paul's like, this ain't okay. This changes now. This changes now because of Christ, because of your revelation of Jesus, because you're a Christian, changes, okay? And then he gets into some spiritual warfare. Think about this. He's, what is he saying? I am confronting demonic powers in this region. I'm confronting, I mean, this is a spiritual thing. I'm, it, it, what what they say is okay isn't sin. It's sin. It's wrong. Okay, and he's saying, man, we got to know. He's like, but he, he just did it, and he's like, man, we got to stand. We got to hold our ground. We got to hold our ground. Hold our ground in the spirit. Hold our ground because this is not a fight of flesh and blood, right? So, verse twelve: for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. He he was not calling for some sort of. Um, you know, he's speaking of the spiritual warfare here. He's confronting individuals. He's confronting lifestyle. And so so he wasn't making this blanket statement like, let's all get swords and spears and let's kill. Let's let's tear down the Roman uh, power, right? Um, so, so he's talking about individuals living life. Look, guys, we do not war. We are not wrestling against Flesh and blood. This is a spiritual battle. It's a spiritual battle, and we need to learn how to stand against the devil. I mean, he's associating everything he just confronted with the things he were conf was confronting. These are influenced by demonic powers. And I, I might have said this a couple weeks ago, but in the early church, and even in the in 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 in, in the Jewish tradition. And, and the, you know, Hebrew tradition and some of the um, commentaries even on the Old Testament, they correlated evil political powers in the same language as demonic powers because they were witnessing atrocities, right? Just wickedness, right? Coming from those in power. And so they're, they're, sometimes it, it's even hard to differentiate. Is he talking about the political powers or actual demonic powers? And right now, obviously, he's explicitly talking about demonic powers, but he's associating societal norms to the influence of demons. Okay? He's, he's, a, he's in context. Ephesians 6. He's, he, this is a letter. And, it's, and, he's, and, he, and it, this isn't this isn't 
Ephesians 6, verse 10 to the end of the chapter is in its own letter. It's in context. It's summarizing. It's bringing it back. You guys, I've challenged you. I've confronted some things. Check it out. This is a spiritual battle. I, I, now, let me tell you, Hopeland Church, what you're in is a spiritual battle. What you sometimes think is all this other, and we see these things happening in society. But I, I'm, a, I'm telling you, there is, a, there is a spiritual war behind all that. That, that, that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age. He is encapsulating. He got in their kitchen and he's, and he's confronting lifestyle, relationships, how you're treating people. And he's saying, when you are doing the wrong thing, folks, because society's saying it's normal, he's saying this is demonic. It's demonic influence. It's devilish. It isn't of God. And we are warring against it. I'm telling you, when you love people, when, when, you, when, when you choose to love somebody and you choose to treat them with dignity and honor and grace and love, I'm telling you, you are engaging in spiritual warfare. Okay? Hallelujah. So when we confess Christ, this is the reality. We enter a spiritual war. We enter a spiritual war. We enter, we, you confess Christ. Jesus, you are Lord. You have entered a spiritual war. Okay, and I'm gonna give you the definitions of stand against. I want you to see what this means, what he's saying. Stand against, that's why I said hold your ground because it means to be firm, steadfast. It means to stop. It means to come to a halt. I'm not moving. It, it really speaks of having this spiritual strength in you from Christ. Be strong, Lord, in the power of his might. Right, put on the full armor of God that you may be able to stand against the works of the devil. What does stand mean? It means to be stubborn, fixed. I'm not moving. I'm not budging from the truth. I'm not budging from where God has me. I'm not budging from what God's coming to do. It means to hold, to be fixed, to hold up, to stand still, to hold it down. I'm not moving. I'm at my post. Here I am. I am not. I am going to stand against the wiles of the devil. And against is so powerful because. Sometimes I think we look, we, 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 we don't, we, we, do, we, we get fearful and intimidated and in timidity, even as believers, right? That's why Paul told Timothy, God did not give you a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind, right? And, and so against means literally moving toward. So when it says that we stand against the wiles of the devil and that we wrestle, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but we're against principalities, we're against powers, we're against the rulers of the darkness, we're against, somebody say against, Somebody say, stand against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. What is that saying? That we are moving toward it. We are not retreating. We are moving forward. His whole picture here of the armor of God is really a correlation to the Roman legion, Roman army. That's, that's, this is what he's talking about. Okay, so, so even all of the various weaponry and everything will stand against does not mean like I'm backing up. It means I'm moving forward. I told our church this last week. I said, and I might've said this online too, and I know it's an extreme statement, but I just want to make the point that I want our community, our church community, and I believe every Christian needs to be two steps from hell, meaning in as far as reaching people, loving people, that we're not trying to get retreat from society. We're not retreating from people that are hurting 
We're not retreating from people that are struggling. We're not retreating from people that are lost and in the world and in addiction and, and living in sin and just bound by various things. We're not trying to hide from them. We're not trying to create this utopian community that has no, nobody in it that is literally um, you know, struggling with real stuff that may even need some sort of deliverance or whatever. Um, this is what this means here. It's like we are standing against, we are interfacing with, we are literally moving toward the goal and destination. We are not, we are not retreating. We are holding our ground and we are moving forward in what God has called us to do. Folks, we need to hold our ground, all right? This, this means, you know, that, that, that this presumes contact, okay? This it presumes some engagement. We are rebuking the devil. We are driving him out in the name of Jesus. We are standing against. This word standing against means an active exchange done in opposition. So we are not running away. We are not, we, we, that this is our spiritual stance. And Paul, he, he's really substantiating what he already said from chapter four, um, to where he is now. I'm, I'm coming against this stuff. And one way he practically did is he's exposing sin, exposing the works of the devil exposing what society says isn't sin and isn't wrong. And he's saying it is. He, 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 he's like, man, I want y'all free. Uh, don't, don't be partakers with them. Treat people in your home, those that work for you right. Treat them right. Treat them the way God has treated you, right? That's what he's saying. And so he's like, look, I, I'm saying, like, he's like, I understand. Like, I'm not mad at you, right? I, I'm coming against principalities, powers, rulers of darkness of this age. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. All right, here's my next point. Know how to arm yourself. Okay, we got to know how to arm ourselves. And this is what we're going to talk about, the armor of God. Here it is, Ephesians 6, 14. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 14 to 17. Here we go. Here's the armor of God. Stand therefore. It says in, in verse 13, having done all the stand, verse 14, stand therefore. Um, having girded your waist with truth. Truth, not subjective truth, not their truth, not even my truth. Having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Verse 16, above all, taking the shield of faith with uh, which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Look at these people, whether they were Jew or Gentile, they walk the streets of Ephesus. They see Roman soldiers everywhere. So this is a picture of that. He's just, he's just painting a picture of something familiar in their society at the time, very familiar. And they had these big shields. They were like four feet tall. And the, the, the notion here too is beautiful because he's speaking to a community is that we are in this together. We are, we are, um, you know, moving forward in the kingdom together. And so a Roman legion, a Roman um, in battle, they would be lined up 
they would all have their shields up kind of, and they would literally be hiding behind their shield, moving forward together. And then the people behind them would have their shields overhead so that, you know, maybe even you might even see some of this correlation in the movie 300. Maybe I haven't seen it for a while, but anyway, um, not sure if that's accurate or whatever, but um, you know, you get the idea uh, that, but that's how they move forward. And they would have this, you know, these huge metal shields have leather on them. And, and so, you know, arrows with fire on them would be shot at them and they'd move forward. And it's in, uh, um, you know, it wouldn't be, couldn't be penetrated. Okay. So that's what he's saying spiritually like in faith. We're, we're moving forward here. We're not, we're not victims. We're not hiding in a back corner. We're not over here. Just no, we are in a warfare. Uh, and we signed up for this. Uh, you know, we are, you know, every soldier, you know, let, you know, let, let's be good soldiers as the scripture says, and endure hardness as a good soldier. God has enlisted us and we're moving forward. And this is a spiritual battle. So you got to know your armor and how to arm yourself. Here it is. I got a question for you. I got a question for you. Uh, what does the Bible say about truth, righteousness, the gospel, faith, salvation, and the word of God? See armor. Do you know? Do you know? I mean, you got to put this on, right? So what does the Bible say about truth? What does the Bible say about righteousness, the gospel, our feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, shield of faith, helmet of salvation, sword of the spirit, which is the word of God? What do you know about these things? These are very knowing and applying the basic biblical principles will empower you to win the battle every time. Uh, we must know these, you must know, you, you must know. You've got to study to show yourself approved. Do you know what the Bible says about truth? Your loins gird about with truth. Do you know what the Bible says about righteousness? Do you know what the Bible says about, do you know scripturally, scripture, the gospel? What does it say, what is it? Do you know about faith, how faith works? What God has given us, what is it? How do I be operate in faith? Now, I could ask myself this question. I'd be like, man, even just me, myself right now looking, man, I got some studying to do. Praise the Lord. But here's the point. We got to know how to arm ourselves. All right, let's go to verse 18. Verse 18 to verse 20, praying always. Look at, he's, he's bringing it to prayer. He's bringing it to prayer. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit. Okay, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints, verse 19, and for me that utterance may be given to me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel, verse 20, for which I am an ambassador in change, chains that in it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Here's my next point, folks. I know I'm moving quickly here, but pray. That's it, pray, pray. This is where the battle's won. This is where you learn. This is where you develop spiritually. It's prayer, it's prayer. And he's like, man, pray for me. Pray that I may be bold. Pray that utterance may be given to me. He's like, let's pray for boldness. You notice he just confronted them a lot. Like confronted meaning like, hey, you guys gotta, you guys gotta come out of this stuff. Like let's let's grow. Let let's let's let let's let's lay aside the old man, put on the new man. Then he starts getting in the kitchen, right? He, Ephesians chapter five and then chapter six. He's really talking about some serious personal things. And, and how we live behind closed doors. And then he's like, let's pray. Like, we need to pray. We need to pray. So prayer, this is what the word prayer means. It means to interact with the Lord by, by this particular word prayer in the Greek, switching human wishes, ideas for his wishes. That, that's what he's, taught. he's challenging them. Look, 
this is where you're going to be changed. This is where the exchange happens. This is where you open your soul up. You allow God to touch you. This here is the type of prayer uh, where divine persuasion takes place, where we are changed, okay? And supplication, it's another word for prayer and it's felt needs. It's 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 petitioning God with a specific request. So he he's, he's uses these two words because both these types of prayer matter. And I think sometimes our prayer lives are all about asking for things and the real needs. Please continue to do that. But prayer is more than petitioning God for a need. Prayer is where we exchange our nature for his, our wishes for his, our ideas for his, our mindset for his. This is where we exchange culture for Christ. Okay. Hallelujah. All right. It says, be watchful. All right. Uh, uh, perseverance. I mean, all of this stuff right here, Ephesians 6, 18 to 20 is about prayer. So we need to pray. Here we go. We're going to end the chapter now. Ephesians 6, verse 21. Here we go. But that you also may know my affairs. Okay. He's like, pray for me, but I also want you to know my affairs. I love this. This is where this relational community thing is happening and we need this folks we need one another people need to know our stuff and we need to know people and be known like this is in the context of christ in the context of christian community in the context of believers but verse 21 but that you also may know my affairs and how i am doing and how i'm doing tychicus a beloved brother and faithful minister in the lord will make all things known to you. Verse 22, whom I have sent to you for this very purpose, that you may know our affairs and that he may comfort your hearts. Look at this, just this community, this loving community, this relational aspect of the kingdom of God. So beautiful right here. I love this. Verse 23 and 24, last two verses. Peace to the brethren and love with faith from, from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all those who love our Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity. Amen. Look at that, just the love of God, man. I love this, like it just, this community, his love for them. He's like, man, it just ended with just affirmation. The love of God, hey, I want you guys to know how I'm doing. Tychicus is coming. Tychicus was a native of Ephesus, potentially came out of that pagan lifestyle, just grew up in that environment. And he ended up being somewhat of a leader in this church, uh, you know, and he sent him there. It's just beautiful. You just see the, the love Paul had for these people, but yet in his love for them, he wasn't afraid to confront the sins that were in their culture, okay? And so here's my last point. You're not alone, okay, in this battle. You're not alone in this battle, all right? So, so God has people in your life simply so they can know where you're at and how you're doing. And so they can comfort your heart. That is why he sent Tychicus to Ephesus. Okay, so they, so they could be known and know others. Like, And Paul was like, I want you to know, here I am in prison, I want you to know how I'm doing. It's beautiful. God bless you guys. I love you guys. And I, and I really pray and hope that this this, this study just ministered to you and blessed you. Love you guys. Peace. I hope you enjoyed the message. 
And my prayer is that you will change your world as a result. If you're ever in the LA area, join us for one of our weekend gatherings. And don't forget to follow us on social media. Peace.